Hello and welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. Our guest today is Bruce Brenizzi, the artist on such titles as Numenera, Slay the Spire, and many other gaming-related projects, including the Gabriel Knight Temptation graphic short story. Thanks for joining us today, Bruce. Oh, it's my pleasure. Hello, Bruce. Nice to hear from you. Good to hear from you, Paul. Let's start from the beginning. How long have you been working as a visual artist and how did you get into it? Uh, well, I mean, it's been a goal for quite a few years. Um, after uh, after college, when I determined that it was uh, a little difficult uh, to get into the industry uh, at that point, uh, my program wasn't really uh, connected directly to, to gaming, so there wasn't like a natural bridge. Um, so I actually uh, went off and, and lived in China for a bit and then eventually came back in 2012. I came back to the US and I decided at that time that I wasn't quite ready to get into but um, that I wanted to prepare myself. And so that's about the time that I started uh, working with uh, Phoenix Online Studios on some of their fan projects. And I started preparing. Um, and then more recently, I guess in the last three or four years, um, I've been working professionally uh, freelance um, on some of those uh, projects that you already named. Mm -hmm. And um, you draw a lot of inspiration from a lot of the classic games. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I grew up with a lot of those classic uh, Sierra games in particular. Um, uh, after, I would say, starting with a lot of shareware stuff first, and then, um, and then my first big box game was actually King's Quest VI. So the, the really painterly backgrounds that they used for the, the games in that era, like, you know, the, the early Quest for Glory games up through four, um, you know, the first Gabriel Knight, uh, uh, King's Quest five and six, like that kind of era uh, was very influential. Um, I love that that look like you're, you're wandering around in a, in a painting almost. It's just so beautiful. Mm hmm. So it's, uh, I, I guess we know where you stand on the whole EGA versus VGA debate then. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I get it that everyone's got their own um, artistic taste and I respect that. Like, personally, EGA is definitely not for me. I, I may have said something along the lines of, you know, mm. makes the eyes bleed. But um, <laughs> I, appreci I appreciate that other people appreciate it. Um, you know, I think I didn't mind it at the time when I was playing some of those games, but when, when I first saw the, those, uh, those beautiful, um, beautiful backgrounds in like King's Quest VI, I was just, I was hooked. I'm like, this is another level, mm -hmm. never going back. <laughs> and so that's, that's where I take my inspiration from. I I obviously see the whole, um, you know, there's something really fascinating about getting so much out of so little, but I'm pretty sure you can't get away with only 16 colors on your artwork. Well, the equivalent is that actually a lot of painters do use limited palettes. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes it can actually give a painting a lot of uh, unity, um, you know, uh, like even like a monochromatic uh, palette or just a palette that has a few different colors. And then you mix them, of course. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get the variations. But there's only so many variations when you have like maybe three or four colors that you're working with. So there's definitely an equivalent 
um, in terms of more painterly uh, artwork. Um, you know, and again, I, I, I can definitely appreciate working with a, a limited palette and, you know, how they use dithering and such in the, in the EGA uh, classic games. It's just the way that they blend and the effects that you can get uh, with the VGA just appeals to me so much more. You know, I, I, every time I, I go to paint, and, and you mentioned blending colors, which kind of opens up, like you say, a whole nother world as far as working with a palette. I like how you said it unifies it, gives it, you know, a general constant theme. Um, I just struggle painting. You know, first of all, being left hand, I always drag my bloody hand across it. But every time I go to blend, it just turns either gray or brown. So I knew it wasn't for me. Um, and, and something <laughs> I admire so much, so much about your work is, is uh, how you're able to, to blend colors, a lot of fading in and fading out. Um, but a quick question, since we're kind of on an EGA, VGA topic real quickly, um, have you ever, because I, I ain't seen it personally, but have you ever dabbled in pixel art? Um, not that, um, that, that is placed a pixel at a time, or at least not since I was a kid. Like, I think, you know, when I was, um, I don't know, like middle school age or something, I think I got a, got my hands on some sort of um, program that allowed you to place things pixel at a time. And I would make like little uh, tarot cards, but I haven't done anything of that nature. Um, I have done some work for um, the, the uh, fellows at um, Infamous Quests and their games are fairly pixelized but more of a VGA look than the EGA sort of style. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, when I had to do art for, for those games, my approach was to um, paint like I normally would, but then just resize it down so that everything became pixelized. Mm -hmm. And I would see if there were any problems that developed, like if, if it became unclear and then I would, you know, go back and, and, you know, change something as necessary to make, uh, to make it clearer at the uh, pixel uh, pixel size that it needed to be. Mm -hmm. So is your process generally, uh, uh, do you do a painting first and then touch it up in computer, or is it all digital? Uh, my commercial work is 100% uh, digital. Wow. So that's all Photoshop, yeah. Well, I, I can't even yeah. begin to imagine how to even start on something like that like that that's just beyond my scope of comprehension yeah i would not have guessed that at all actually looking at your, your website right now and it's just i mean it, it looks it, you know almost it looks like you know oil on canvas basically it's just beautiful i'm, I'm kind of in shock honestly that, that you said that it's all through uh, photoshop it's amazing mm -hmm. yeah i mean photoshop is an incredibly versatile program you can you can do a lot with it and some of the biggest name artists you know, currently working on on things like Magic the Gathering or various computer titles, like they do most of their work uh, digitally. And, you know, really, it, it's, it's part of it is down to the mentality. Uh, when you're working in, in Photoshop, um, but you have a great appreciation for the classic paintings, and you've studied them, you've done uh, little studies and tried to tried to work out um, sort of, you know, like the, the color mixing or the compositional ideas of the master artists uh, of, you know, hundreds and, and you know, hundreds of years uh, ago, uh, then it's amazing what you, what you can bring to your digital painting to, to essentially make it feel exactly like an oil or an acrylic 
Um, and usually when I go to, to conventions and I have my, some of my um, painting or some of my paintings, I, I have printed as canvas prints. And especially on the canvas, it just looks exactly like it was painted with oils or acrylics. And people are constantly asking me, oh, did you use oils or acrylics? And I'm like, uh, actually digital, <laughs> except it's yeah. still yeah. just the process of, one one paint stroke at a time like you know ultimately it's not so different there are certain things in digital that can be very efficient uh but if you want it to look traditional you still have to have a, a fairly traditional method of paint stroke paint stroke and change the color change the the warmth change the the lightness or the darkness of it and so on Right, yeah. I, f I feel if I was to see one of your paintings on canvas, I, I, I would need like a, a red velvet rope to keep me from like poking and prodding at it. <laughs> just double check this. Not yeah. really paint. Um, so, Numenera, I believe, is a uh, tabletop RPG. Well, that's correct. Yes. Uh, so, do, do you know very much about it? Like, how how is it different from, say, Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder? Um, I've never actually had the chance to play the game. So I don't know all of the ins and outs. It differs exactly. What I do know is that uh, Monty Cook, the designer who created that system and created that setting, uh, he actually used to work at Wizards of the Coast on uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Um, he, I think he left, I want to say like around um, maybe the uh, 3.0 uh, 3 or 3.5 um versions of uh dungeons and dragons maybe I, I something like that i know there was a bit of drama um at the time mm. uh regarding regarding uh how that company was going um so a lot of top designers actually left and started their own gaming firms so uh, i think he probably took you know some some of the ideas that he had about you know disagreements maybe uh, about the direction of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, he created a, a different kind of system. Mm -hmm. um, and from what I've seen, it's supposed to facilitate more of a more of the storytelling side of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons. So, you know, I one of these days I'd love to get to play it, but uh, so far I'm just so busy uh, uh, making making more paintings for yeah. it. <laughs> And how's the process working with them? Like, how, do you get a lot of uh, do you get a lot of creative license with how you do the drawings, or do they is it very guided? Like, do they tell you what they want and how to do something, or do you are you pretty much given a lot of uh, creative freedom in that regard? Um, Numenera, I had an amazing amount of creative freedom. Actually, the first five pieces that I worked on, in particular, they just told me go to town, do your thing. Um, I guess you could call it a blue sky project. Um, the game was already established. It had been out since 2012. So, you know, I had gone in thinking that maybe they would want something illustrated that is in the game, but hadn't been previously illustrated. And they were looking for all new concepts pretty much. So I submitted a bunch of ideas that I came up with and they approved most of them. And then I just went to town on those and, and came up with my own stories. And, you know, they're just looking for inspiring 
weird scenes that people can can say oh yeah maybe i can build a my own story about that that mm -hmm. place like it doesn't have to be set in stone by uh the rule book as it were Right, right. You know, I'm really glad you said that there at the end because uh, as I look at some of your artwork uh, on your website, and everybody go go check it out at, at brucebernizzi.com. Um, but as I look at your artwork, it it every different piece seems like there's room for allegory. Like I could look at one of your pieces and feel like I could, you know, come up with my own short story with some sort of hidden meaning, and um, you know. It, it, it's just it's just amazing how the imagination wanders and I won't go too much into detail on the paintings obviously this is a you know audible uh, medium not a visual one so I won't drive everyone crazy by trying to explain things but um, you have one called the trail of the dream titans um, and just for people listening it, it's well you know actually Bruce probably better if, if you kind of explain it because to me it's just fascinating this this giant you know monolith almost I guess like a pyramid but it's got like almost insect like legs and a tiny city in the background yeah that's actually a really great example because that was one of those first five pieces that i did for them and certainly those were not the only ones that i've done for them where they were very hands-off but that was one of the very first i think that was the second piece that i worked on for them um and yeah it's a night scene with a pyramid but there's a creature inside of the pyramid that's basically a giant creature using the pyramid almost as a shell. Oh, and wow. so we don't know if this is exactly a, a situation where the creature just normally wanders around like that. It's got all of these tiny, relatively small crab legs underneath the, the whole structure, uh, trundles along the, the plains. Um, we don't know exactly if that's just, you know, how it how it normally wanders around day to day or if this is just once in a while it will get up and walk away uh, or if this is like and uh, Lovecraftian uh, elder god that is escaping from its prison. Um, you know, a lot of it is left up to the imagination of the viewer. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a small village in the foreground and there's a trail of glowing blue uh, chemicals that are coming out of the, the back of this creature and they're, they're flooding down through uh, some canals or rivers um, in this plain. And the people have created like a, a dam or a dike uh, along this river and they're collecting the, the chemicals and they're, they're making use of them. And so, so I came up with this idea um, Monty Cook Games had a, a few uh, a few bits of feedback along the way just to, to kind of hone it. Uh, but generally, even in terms of feedback, they've been fairly hands off. Um, and one of their legendary uh, game designers, uh, Bruce Cordell, who's done a number of like very famous um, D&D modules, he also used to work uh, for Wizards of the Coast uh saw this um painting that i did and he was very inspired he post about even and uh, he was the one who came up with the trail of the dream titans and he wrote up like a little adventure module uh based on my painting so that was a huge honor 
Yeah, it's incredible, and I can see why. I mean, the mind just wanders, and you know, at first I was wondering if the the city would be terrified of the creature if it was going at it, and then, like you said, I, I noticed that 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 liquid, if you will, it's kind of a bioluminescent sort of uh, liquid, is you know, seem to be almost being harvested by the city. But um, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. Thank um, you. It's beautiful. Um, and to ask a proper question instead of just throwing uh, comments out there, I guess right, it's good for substance to ask you things. Um, <laughs> I was wondering also about your artistic freedom um or the pregame if you will when it came to the gabriel knight comic that one i was mostly a colorist on so i wasn't the one coming up with the concepts or anything like that um to my knowledge um phoenix online and um jane jensen had already written the short story um i think I, I don't know exactly how it came about, but I, I believe that the uh, 20th anniversary uh, Gabriel Knight uh, might have been funded. And I think that the little short story prelude for a potential uh, Gabriel Knight forehook uh, was kind of something to the, to the backers, um, at least as far as I understand it. So they had this short story already out there, and I think it was available, and they decided that they wanted to make it into a graphic short story because all of the Gabriel Knight games always came with that little, uh, like, um, comic, basically, or like a little illustrated story, like a kind of um, uh, intro chapter uh, for the games. Um, I don't know if you guys, I mean, uh, have the big boxes or, or, or any of the, the materials for those games, but they always came with that. Um, so they, they wanted to do something like along those lines. So they had the script. Uh, they had uh, another artist. Um, I'm blanking on her name at the moment. I'm, forgive me. Um, I, I believe an Italian uh, lady. Um, she drew out, uh, she did all the line work for it. And then I came in and I did, I painted over the line work. And so I did the cover as well as, as the uh, coloring the, the interiors. And so that one was pretty much pretty well set, uh, mm. actually, except for the, except for the cover. Uh, I basically came up with the cover in the course of a day or two. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it really, it came it came together as a finished piece over the course of one day, pretty much um, going on late uh, with um, Phoenix Online's art director. And I think there were, there were a couple people who were that, well, I, I worked on that and they, they got some other stuff done that they needed to get done um, around the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, yeah, it's a beautiful cover, kind of a, a you know, nighttime winter scene. Uh, you know, I, I love your lighting and the way the moon glows and the, the lantern on the house. Um, and only because I'm looking at it, uh, her name for closure is uh, Pavanito? Uh, Pavanato? Pa yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's Elise, maybe, or, or something like are. that, or Elisa. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've got half the name in there. Um, so, <laughs> um, considering, like you said, that the, the the drawing was done, the story was done. Um, were they kind of over your shoulder about how you you coloured it, or was that pretty much left up to you? Um, that that one was kind of a group uh, process. It was a little bit more of a team uh, team effort, and um, that 
you know, in my experience, uh, tended to fit with how Phoenix Online generally does stuff. They, they always have like team meetings on Skype on like uh, a weekly basis at the very least where everyone shows what they've been working on and, and you get feedback from a lot of a lot of different people who may be part of the, the process. So uh, there was generally a, a fair bit of uh, feedback on those pieces. Lovely. You know, and fair enough. I hadn't done colorist. You know, I hadn't been a colorist on a, on a graphic novel project before, so I was coming in just applying my knowledge of color theory and and um, Photoshop painting to a task that I hadn't tried before. Right, right. I absolutely nailed it. It's beautiful. I mean, in all your work, one constant thing that I, I'm so drawn to is your lighting, um, and oftentimes your your contrast of lighting. Um, what one of your works is called a, a golden evening, and and it's just all these mm. warm kind of earth tones, and then this just contrast, beautiful, you know, uh, turquoise. I'm not sure the actual color, but this just bright, sure, beautiful that's, that's blue. Close, yeah. Um, right on. I got something right there. When I was uh, a wee, when I was a wee little lad, I used to call it Turk boys, and I, I took a lot of shite for that. Oh, going up. Like, I should, should That's start, a different like, industry. Yeah, it's just yeah. Like a, a boy band with the Turk boys. <laughs> um, so, in, uh, so on the topic of processes, how, how are things possibly different or even similar when working with uh, Infamous Quest with their games? Um, those ones, um, again, well, actually, those ones are maybe a little bit more like the process of working on Numenera in the sense that uh, they didn't tend to, to need too much feedback. Um, as, you know, the story and elements that they needed me to paint uh, were already fairly determined. So there was um, like a, a, a kind of a, uh, an emblem and a few other details like that they you know they just gave me some written details to work from um and uh there may have been like a few tweaks needed at the end after i i handed in the the pretty much finished uh art assets but there wasn't too much back and forth on those in fact i just uh just worked with steven on another piece for rome to ruin so mm -hmm. there will be at least one of my pieces uh in that game coming up uh, or at least I think it's it's in Rome to Ruin, if I remember right. Mm -hmm. Probably. I think that's the one he's working on right now. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking, yeah. looking forward to that. And could you uh, let us know what, what previous titles of Infamous Quest that we could find your work in? Uh, well, the only other uh, title from Infamous Quest that I've got work in is um, Order of the Thorn. Yeah, it's, it's what I, I forget what the subtitle for that one is. It's like the King's Challenge, I want to say. Mm. And you don't encounter my work until the very, very end of the game. There's like some, basically some, some backstory that you encounter uh, right near the very end. And so they, need, they wanted some illustrations that kind of look a little bit like medieval uh, woodcut um, illustrations. Um, just for that last piece. Right, I got it. That's actually a lovely bit of uh, accidental marketing you've done for them, so all the listeners know that you got to stick through it and get to the end to see that. <laughs> well, they are they are lovely. They are lovely, lovely people. So they they deserve it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Love their work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've uh, got a question for you. I've, uh, I've, I think I've either read or, you know, or heard from you mentioned in the past, uh, perhaps uh, on, on the Guild itself, I'm not sure, that you were a big fan of Sir Terry Pratchett. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's one of my all-time favorite authors. Um, obviously, it was a huge, a huge loss for, you know, frankly, the world uh, when he, he passed. Uh, some years back, I actually did a, um, I did a, a little piece, um, you know, when I was sort of getting my sadness out of me around that time. I did a little, um, a little painting that has uh, one of the swamp dragons holding uh, Terry's signature black hat in his mouth, and he's got like the big soulful eyes like those swamp dragons always do, and there's a few other little. Um, uh, little Easter eggs in there for for other uh, Pratchett fans, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, he's ab- absolutely a, a, a huge inspiration. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah, it's lovely. I was uh, you know just looking looking him up, to, you know, little uh, research whatever, and and I I didn't know that he was knighted, uh, but he was back in two thousand nine, I believe. Um, so you know, of course. Uh, you're hearing the way I talk. I was very excited to announce him as Sir Terry Pratchett, and I think it's lovely he was yes. able to uh, he was <laughs> able to be to be knighted before he passed away. God bless you, Mum. Uh, <laughs> what I did want to ask is, uh, obviously, you know, he's uh, was knighted for for his works in literature um, more so than how uh, the listeners of this podcast probably know him, which would be his uh, Discworld games. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. the, the, the books as well. Check them out. Do some reading. It's good for you. Um, but um, that said, uh, are you were you a particular fan of his games or was it mostly based on his, you know, uh, you know, other works? Uh, it was entirely based on his books. I mean, it's an amazing series. Um there's so much in there. I actually wasn't even aware that there were any Terry Pratchett games until relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that there were, I mean, I, there's more than one. I mean, the, the one that I was aware of looked like it had an interface based on, uh, on uh, the games that, uh, let's see, there, were, there was like a, um, a Terry Brooks game and like a Shannara game, and there was a uh, Piers Anthony uh, Xanth game, Demons Don't Dream, and of course I'm very familiar with his works as well. Um, and I played the Xanth game. I've never played the Terry Brooks game or the Terry Pratchett uh, Discworld game, but it looks looks like it's kind of a similar concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've only played the first one. I'm not sure if there's three or four off the top of my head. Um, and I, you know, kind of uh, almost artistically reminded me of the uh, Simon the Sorcerer games, you know, just, uh, mm-hmm. you know, kind of fantasy mixed with a little bit of cartoony um, charm to it or whatever. But um, yeah, definitely, definitely enjoyed the first one. And like the rest of us, you know, just a hundred games in queue to play um, them included. Um, but anyway, yeah, I had to get that out of the way. I was very, very curious how you felt about him <laughs> and his games. What What is your favorite game? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I mean, come on! Like, there's so many games. You have to, you have to divide it by subgenre. I mean, favorite. We have to put. We have to ask the hard questions here. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, boy, you know, uh, definitely, 
high up the list are the Quest for Glory games, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably, you know, out of all of the, the Sierra games, that's probably my very favorite series. Yeah. Um, I am a big fan of uh, RPGs, so Ultima is also a, a you know, important series to me. And yeah. the, the last one I would probably mention uh, at the top of the list would be um, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I have sunk so much time into that, and I can, you know, pretty much pull the the quotes from it off the top of my head at this point. Um, but it's just a beautifully written um, game, and the, and the gameplay is, is amazing and addictive, too. Mm-hmm. And do you find ever since become, especially ever since becoming a professional visual artist, do you find that your enjoyment of games uh, now is very heavily impacted by the visual uh, designs? Um, I would say that for the most part, I don't get to play a lot of games anymore <laughs> because right. I'm too busy making art for games. I mean, that's <laughs> that's kind of the uh, the that's the problem with becoming a game dev. Like, you oftentimes don't get to play a lot of games. Um, certainly, certainly as an artist, like I'm just kept so busy that, uh, I have a a lengthening list of games that I'd love to play. Um, top of the list is probably the, the new one from, uh, Laurie and Corey Cole, uh, Hero U. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've gotten to see a little bit of it. My sister's played through it like nine times already, and (laughs) I haven't gotten to play it through a single time yet. Uh, so that's that's number one on the list of of games that I'd like to play when I when I have the the chance. Yeah, perfect choice for a number one. Yeah, you're definitely in for a treat next time. Uh, next time you find time. But yeah, as you as you said, uh, be, being a game dev or uh, working in any sort of artistic industry is always that kind of cruel uh, irony of of not being able to uh, take in uh, or enjoy what you're putting you know your work towards, which is uh, you know, unfair at times. But I mm-hmm. guess having having working a bad thing. And how long, um, let's say the piece that we were mentioning before, like how, how long did it take to make that from uh, from the first time you put the, uh, I guess, the pen to the pad to what completion? You know, I, I really don't, um, I don't do a good job of timing myself. Mm-hmm. And my process tends to involve a lot of back and, back and forth and taking breaks uh, from the, uh, the Cintiq to, to go and like, you know, take a walk around, get some oxygen in the brain and so on. So it's hard sometimes to determine uh, billable hours. And I, I am not entirely sure on mine um, in many cases, but um, I would estimate that my average illustration might take somewhere between 30 and 60 hours. Okay. And that's just a very rough estimate. Honestly, a lot of pieces, um, you know, I'll do a bit of work on one thing and then I'll switch and, and work on something else. Of course. And then I, you know, I might come back to a piece. If it's a personal piece, I might be working on that thing for months, but not just straight through. It's, you know, a bit here, a bit there. And I'm kind of a, a, a little bit of a scattered person anyway sometimes. So um, so it makes it really hard to, to determine exactly. Mm-hmm. Right, fair enough. And and you know, uh, while we're on uh, sort of subject of your personal approach to things, um, I noticed a, um, a sort of theme, if you will, developing that I absolutely am enamored by, and it's. Uh, uh, 
bear with me. I'll try and put it into words. Um, it seems like a lot of like dawn of civilization or of rebirth, um, civilizations rising from nothing. Um, and then I, I, this is an oxymoron, but it, it, some of the pieces almost seem like they're organic, but also a little cyberpunk. You know what I mean? Like, which again, you know, cyberpunk usually sure. is like, you know, technological future and this and that. Whereas yours, maybe it's the lighting, maybe it's a, a mix of unexplainable with ruins, things like that. But my, you know, basic curiosity is is these giant, you know, kind of monolith um, structures uh, um, that you create. Like, um, you know, you've got one was like a, a giant red wall at the border of the sea, and uh, these pillars, uh, this, this turquoise pillars um coming out of the desert um is where does that come from inspirationally um yeah i mean that's something that i'm dialed into that is also a big part of that setting that they're working on um actually i i mean i think you you hit right on it um a lot of a lot of the work that i've been doing is really about uh the post post-apocalyptic world so if we imagine you know, on into the future, our civilization will eventually come to its end, probably. Um, other civilizations may rise and fall in the meantime. Uh, but, you know, in some far distant, weird future, you know, the humanity in some form might continue. And what does that look like? And what kinds of high-tech ruins do they, you know, do they live with? you know, the scars of all the past civilizations um, and how do they use that to, to build their own civilization? That, I think, is a very interesting uh, concept and an interesting question. And it's something that I, I like to deal with in my work. And it's, you know, it's part of the Numenera setting because that one's, you know, a billion years in the future and, and many civilizations later, um, rather improbably, I guess, but, you know, fun, fun regardless. Um, I'm also working on my own uh, Patreon project uh, called the 12 Continents that's, uh, you know, a similar kind of, of concept. And it's something that I've been working on for maybe 12, 15 years, just um, writing short stories and coming up with ideas and kind of living in that headspace. So that would be why it's, it's coming through in the work, some of the work that I do for clients and also the work that I do for myself. It's, it's a really interesting theme. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. A lot, a lot of your works makes me want to take a saunter through them and, and just kind of take it in as the, like these giant, you know, pantheons, uh, you know, maybe like you said, from the civilization before the new one and, and they're building a little city around it um, to really dumb it down. Just just again, kind of for listeners being an audible medium. It, it, and again, it's really, really dumbing it down, not to compare to to your artwork, but it reminds me of uh, um, Planet of the Apes, where they uh, come across the fallen Statue of Liberty, um, and you know, it just kind of has this, you know, odd, like you know, it was from you know your ancestors, and uh, it's just something very magical about it that, that I certainly appreciate. And um, since you mentioned Panthe. Um, so I, I, that's what I'd done said since <laughs> the thing that you said was Patreon. There we go. Since you mentioned that, yeah. where can, uh, where can listeners find your Patreon? Uh, well, you just have to look for my name on Patreon. And the problem here, as you mentioned, since this is an audible medium <laughs> and my last name is very unique, I'm going to have to, to at least spell it out for you, uh, for, for listeners. Um, 
So my first name is Bruce. Of course, that's simple enough, but the last name is uh, Brenizi, starting uh, B-R-E-N-N-E-I-S-E. And um, you can find me on Patreon. You can, you know, my website is brucebrenizi.com. Um, so I'm, I'm very easy to find on, on the internet because uh, my name is so unique, but it's also a little mm. difficult for people because my name is so unique. It's a blessing <laughs> and a curse. <laughs> and do you have any, uh, do you have any social media pages or anything? Like, is, there's the time to get in all your plugs and, uh, and shout outs if you like. I'm, uh, let's see. I think um, if I can remember them all, I'm Bruce Draws on Twitter. Um, I'm B Bren Works on Facebook, or you can just search for my name on Facebook. Um, I'm Bruce Brenizi on Instagram. Um, I'm I think I'm Bruce Draws Worlds on Tumblr. Uh, not that not that I really do all that much with Tumblr these days. It just you know gets uh whatever i send to instagram also goes there um and bruce brenizi at patreon mm -hmm. so it's it's literally just patreon.com slash bruce brenizi and you can find my my uh 12 continents work there beautiful and i've, I've got about two two more per, uh i'm not sure about rick i've got about two more questions for you but before i do just you lot out there really please go go to brucebenizzi.com you could spend 45 minutes easy just just staring at these beautiful works that he's done um they're absolutely amazing so please go check them out um they're gorgeous um bruce uh, i've got just kind of two daft silly questions for you if you will um all right, free. I'll make them kind of quick. Um, I noticed in your write-up that you've got uh, you've got a fascination, or or at least a collection of carnivorous plants. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do have a small small collection that I keep in my in my studio room, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of amusing keeping some sundews and some uh, pitcher plants around. Um, they do occasionally eat the odd fly or mosquito that makes it into the house, so I appreciate them for that too. I, I tried them Venus flight traps, terribly inefficient way of dealing with the problem, but they're nice to have around. Yeah, the the fly traps <laughs> look really cool, and they're very inefficient. Um, if you if you if you ever want to deal with a fruit fly problem via uh, carnivorous plants. I highly recommend you get sundews and uh, pitcher plants instead, especially the sundews. They'll just, they'll, they'll catch so many of those things. Um, it's pretty cool. I might actually just jot that down. I've got a large fruit fly problem, but um, not that the listeners care about my fly problem, so I'll move on to the next. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone to talk to about this. Um, no, uh, so last two, um, uh, yeah, you specifically mentioned. First of all, I, I love I love your hat. I saw just a two minute clip of you on YouTube talking, and I was like, "That's a bloody cool hat." Like, I, I like hats quite a bit myself personally. <laughs> but you mentioned that you got you get your hats from the Amish. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, that is correct. Um, you know, I I grew up in southern Michigan, and it's not too far from there to a place called Shipshawana in Indiana that has a large uh, Amish population. And actually, when I came back from China, um, I was briefly down in that area, and I, I found this place that sells hats exactly the way I like them. 
And so I stocked up on a few uh, from there. And then um, another trip more recently, I stocked up on a few more because, you know, they do get pretty weather beaten and, and dirty after a while. Um, so I think I'm, I'm on something like my fourth or fifth um, Indiana Jones kind of style uh, fedora hat. Um, and I've been wearing that style for, boy, uh, quite a while. Let's say since maybe 2003, 2004, something like that. That's really cool. I had to ask because, you know, it was specifically pointed out and I'm a bit fascinated with the Amish. Uh, I don't think I'm mature enough to ever visit them. I'd be tempted to bring like an old iPhone and just like drop it on the ground and see if that like, <laughs> destroy the society. And it'd probably get terrible. smashed by uh, one of their horse buggies coming along. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the thousand Abe Lincolns there. Um, is that a bad thing to say? You'll edit if it was, sorry. Um, All right. My... my <laughs> My last, my last question for you, mate. Um, you had mentioned that you spent a lot of time in China, um, and to transition into that, because I can't not say it. Oh, I'm sorry, Rick. Um, since you spent, <laughs> since you spent time in China, I was just wondering if you do care to share. Um, you know, kind of what brought you there? Can you speak any of the language? You know, anything like that? Uh, sure. Um which is to say, I, I do speak a little. I do understand a little. Um, I may, I may be a, a little modest on that question because that is also the Chinese way. If, if you know anyone compliments you, uh, you're really supposed to kind of do this thing where you look to each side and you say, "Nali, who are you talking about? You can't possibly be praising. Not so good." Um, <laughs> Well, I wouldn't do well there. It's a, it's a very, it's a very tiny. Well, they they know that Westerners are happy to brag about themselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, after art school, when I sort of ran up against this hard wall of of reality, like how do I get into the entertainment and into games? Like how do I do the the sorts of things that I want to do? And it didn't seem like there was any ready path forward. Uh, based on the skills I had acquired at uh, college. Um, and traveling's always been a, a huge passion of mine. Um, I had a lot of Chinese friends in college as well. So I, I knew like, you know, a little bit of very basic survival Chinese already. Um, but then I just, I got a, I, I just got a job over there. I, I, you know, looked around, found a job teaching English. It's uh, very easy to fall into if you're from one of the, the main English-speaking uh, countries. Like, you know, basically, they tend to just require a, a college degree, and that's about it. Um, oh, so, working well. Now I can scratch my travel itch. I can go live in East Asia and travel to some of the surrounding countries and travel around. And it was just mm. an amazing time. I met my wife there, and... Um, I traveled to like three or four, maybe five other countries that are nearby. Um, and it's been a huge inspiration for my art. So that looks to be about the time that we have for today. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Bruce. Oh, well, it was absolutely my pleasure, too. It was uh, great to chat with you guys. 
Mega, yeah. No, just want to extend, extend, extend what Rick said, only with more stuttering, and say it was a pleasure <laughs> to learn about you and and your methods and your approach and everything. And um, uh, again, everyone, go check out uh, BruceBernaysi.com and uh, and his Patreon, social media, etc. It's, it's just gorgeous work. Sweet. Uh, well, one of these days we'll have to talk uh, Slay the Spire. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's another big one. <laughs> yes, I have that in my notes, but I just sort of, uh, I, I didn't have a specific question related to it because I, had no, I don't know much about it, so I should I actually probably should have asked for an explanation. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get you back on soon and we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk more about that one. We have a beautiful cliffhanger now because people are going to want to hear about that, and, and you will, but you've got to stay tuned, you know, for the next the next season of uh, Us With Bruce. Um, but no, just just thank you so much for being here, mate. Uh, everybody out there, thank you for listening, and don't do murder. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> thank you all for joining us at the Classic Gamers Guild podcast. If you would like to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, our social media contact information is in the episode description. Please feel free to continue the conversation by letting us know if you agree or disagree, if we missed anything, or if you think any of our information is inaccurate. If you would like to suggest an idea for an upcoming episode, please feel free to let us know, and priority for episode suggestions will be given to our Patreon subscribers. That's all for this week. Thank you all very much for tuning in. 